I think the definition of greatness is to inspire the people next to you. It's how can you inspire a person to then in turn inspire another person. And that's how you create something that I think lasts forever. That's our challenge as people, is to figure out how our story can impact others and motivate them in a way to create their own greatness. On three podcast hosted by Hans, Evan, and Lou. Welcome to the three on three podcast. I'm your boy here, Hans, with my boys, my compadres, my partners in crime on the court, Ev, Lou, and in the trenches in the shadows lurking like the creeper he is we have the pod mamba in the background we have a great show set up for you guys today as always and thank you in advance for joining us all right guys so thus far in this season there are some trends that are developing that could either be the start of something interesting or fool's gold so as someone who doesn't gamble much myself i'm always going to caution on the side of you know what Let's wait and see. But the basketball fan in me is just, there's some trends that are just too tempting for me to resist. Like years ago, the Blazers started the season top one or two teams in the league, only to end the season getting bounced off the first round of the playoffs. Nevertheless, like I said, there are some trends that are just too irresistible and we sometimes flirt with them. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to flirt with some trends and only time will tell if these flirtatious interactions will blossom into full blown relationships. And that's just the disclaimer I'm going to have with you today. We're going to flirt with these trends that are happening in the NBA. And the first one that's happening that's really catching my eye are these are Orlando Magic. I cannot believe it. These Orlando Magic are really out here balling. They're beating some great high-quality teams, and I, for one, did not see it coming. Now, granted, I do know I have the pleasure of having some basketball experts aficionados here who may have seen it, but I'm going to speak for myself here. I did not see the Magic coming at all. Ev, I know you're one who really likes to see the diamonds in the rough. That's that's really your talent. You can see a team coming. You called Sacramento. You called Memphis. You know, even though they're they're a little iffy right now, but hey, that's mm-hmm. not on you. That's that's Ja. That's not on you. <laughs> what okay. I want to hear your take first. What's going on with this magic, man? Is this fool's gold, or are we are we are we too jumpy? Are, are we too soon to believe? First off, shout out to my boy, Ja. Just leave the guns alone and come back soon, please. Um, (laughs) As far as the magic goes, though, I I call it just testament to solid draft picks. When when you've been bad for a lot of years and you accumulate a lot of draft capital, when the picks work out, you put yourself in position to, to succeed. So you go back, you know, the last three drafts. I mean, you get Jalen Suggs at the fifth pick and Franz Wagner 
who turns into a much better player than than expected coming out of college. Nice. A player who showed out for Germany and FIBA. I feel like we've talked about that almost every week, uh, how, how he showed out over the summer, his growth each year. The next year you get Apollo Banquero coming out of Duke, who not only does he seem stronger uh, than he did uh, to, you know, last year, he's, putting the ball in, in the basket well as well. Uh, Cole Anthony from a couple years back turning into a reliable bench piece. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned Jalen Suggs a, a, cup, a couple years ago. You know, he looked he looked a little scary with the shot, uh, but he's, he's he was a gamer coming out of Gonzaga. He's figuring himself out on the court. He's putting a lot of attention to detail in the, on the defensive end. Jonathan Isaac, I can't believe he was drafted back in 2017 now, finally looks healthy, finally looking like the player he was supposed to be coming out of Florida State. You've got a lot of pieces there, and what Orlando's doing is they're putting the emphasis on defense first. I think they're fifth in the league in defense right now in opposing points per game. And so when you when you're leading with defense and you've got such a tall team as they do, you know the old saying, defense travels. And when you've drafted some players that are talented enough to get points on the board consistently, now you've got a team, now you've got a culture that you could build together. All the pieces are fitting. So I see a team that's that's built for sustainability. Now they still have to get a little more reliable in in crunch time, but that's going to come with reps. What you have is you have culture, though. So now that you have pieces that fit all on the same timeline that you can continue to cultivate, go through some wars together, you can continue to build that culture, and you have a team that that should be sustainable. I didn't even mention my guy Markel Fultz. He's been I was about to say you didn't you, you didn't know. shout out your homie Fultz who's improving. I'm just saying, man. I was waiting for it. if you ain't mentioned I was gonna talk about my guy who has had a breath of fresh air, Absolutely. another opportunity for him to be able to do it. And not only that, you know, which, which has also been great for him, you, you start to see him almost looking like he's in a position of mentorship. You know what I mean? Like we're not gonna go as far as to say he's necessarily a veteran. You know what I mean? But He's definitely somebody of the more mature class in terms of when he's coming to the league. And also, folks knowing, and I'm sure, he, young players, you follow other dope players. So they already know who Markel Fultz was when he was coming into the league and, you know, with the unfortunate situation with his injury. But, man, you know, I, I, I was waiting for the Markel Fultz because you were talking too much about Paolo. We don't talk too much about Duke players on this show. We keep it real tar hill light. But, you know, I'm going to let you cook right there, brother. As a Tar Heel fan, I gotta give Paolo his credit. Just from just just from the standpoint that he's looking like the number one pick in a draft. You know, when you have somebody that can consistently put up 20-something a game, getting getting rebounds, he he doesn't shy away on the defensive end. Like that just going back to that culture, you know, you've got you got guys that fit together and that work uh, with one another. Their bench, uh Mo Wagner, Franz's brother. You know, he he comes in and, and it seems like once a week he's giving you 18, 20 points in the game. Cole Anthony, like I said, has never been afraid to shoot the ball. Uh, but now he's he's in a system where he's come in, lead the lead the bench, spot starting when needed to or whatnot. They just got a lot of good pieces. Uh I mean, I'll let you finish, brother. No, because I'm saying it's like it mean and I think 
you know, this is a comparison I made early on in this in the season where I look, you know, I'm looking at Orlando and they're like, okay, see for me right now. You know, both of them, number two in their respective conferences, really balling out young teams that have been able to be, you know, put together through draft. Quite, you know, I mean, look at what OKC is doing right now as a young team, you know, with your 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 favorite front runner. I mean, I will get into that, but absolutely I think what Orlando is doing is probably the most surprising for me. I didn't expect it at all. You know, shout out to them really being able to not just put the team together, but also they're being coached well. Yeah, I mean, so they're really being put in their best position when we'll see how they continue to to track. Are they going to be a team that's going to be able to continue to success all the way through? Or are they going to fall to uh, uh, being a playing team? Bulls fan, trust me. I, if Hans, just like you mentioned, I know what it's like to start out hot in the season and be a favorite and then, you know, barely fight, you know, fighting for your life to just to get into, into playoff contention. Yeah, definitely. And I will say this, man, the Orlando Magic have had some notable wins. They beat the Bucks. They beat... Denver and they beat the Celtics. So they are really proving their salt in the league right now. And I don't think that this is something to be ignored. I think we are doing our due diligence right now and putting the spotlight on them. What I have seen in the game that I did watch now, admittedly, I did not watch all of them. I did see a team that knows who they are. I did see a team who is not struggling to find cohesion everybody kind of for the most part knows their role and i have seen some development in their from their players similar to the discussion that we were having off i guess camera last week the differences between drafting your team and trading in your team and i think we're seeing the value that comes from drafting your team and building up your players and molding them to what you want them to be versus buying pieces and putting them together. So shout yeah. out to the Orlando magic for really making strides. I do see them as a playoff team this year. Now, my question is, I don't know if I'm going to place them high. I really see them on the lower end of it because I do see some teams in the East that are struggling right now that I think will bounce back as the season continues to to push forward. But nevertheless, they're still trending in a manner that I myself did not see coming at all. So it's interesting that you say that about the about teams that you you that aren't necessarily living up to what we may have expected. I know I can say that where Orlando is is where I expected Indiana to be. You know, I mean, coming in this season, uh, you know, I really like Halliburton. Matherin is really out here uh, flourishing and balling. Uh, I really expected them to be higher than, you know, currently I think they're, they're a six seed. They are, currently they're a six seed, so they're just, you know, outside of where if playoffs started today, we'd be talking about um, being in position for potential falling into the play-in. But uh, I, I mean, I'm curious to see what the trend for Indiana will be moving forward because I really was high on Indiana coming in to the season, uh, and I'm not sure, you know, where they're necessarily going to fall when we come to the back half of the season. Will they be able to improve? Will they be able to come be a top three team in in the Western Conference? So, curious if you guys had any thoughts on how, what Indiana looks like um, in terms of how they're trending this season currently. So two things about 
Indiana. I, they're the opposite of Orlando doing it successfully a different way. And they're on from an offensive stand, number one in points per game on, on the season. We saw that game with, with the Hawks uh, last week. I think they won 157-152. They're a team where, one, the ascendance of Tyrese Halliburton, even as great as he looked, I keep coming back to 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 FIBA over the summer, but even as good as he as he looked over the summer, I don't think this type of leap was anticipated for how he's looking so far. He, he's over forty percent shooting from three for his career, leading the league in in assists while getting twenty five points per game now, making the game look easy not only for himself but for the other players on, on that team as well. You bring a good comparison point where we're talking about the Pacers versus the Magic because the cool thing about it is the Pacers were the first team in the East to lock up their spot in the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament. You mentioned the Magic's law, uh, win against Boston uh, over over the holiday. Uh, shout out to the NBA for the in season tournament games on Black Friday as well. Uh, some some good real estate for them to carve out. But anywho, the Magic winning that game against Boston puts put them in the lead in their group for the in season tournament, where Boston has to come out and win by like nineteen on Tuesday or the magic get that spot. So you basically have Indiana and possibly the magic as locks into the quarterfinals of the end season tournament. Another stepping stone for, for these young teams solidifying themselves in some solid game experience and giving them confidence going forward for the rest of the season. Does that grow into Indiana maintaining a top six spot? Does that grow into the Orlando magic uh, maintaining a top four spot in the East? It'll be fascinating to see if these early successes transform into more longer lasting results. A hundred percent. And for me, I'm not, as surprised with the leaps that Indiana's making, similar to what Ev was saying, right? We did see Halliburton via FIBA take some leaps. Now, granted, we didn't think he's going to come out balling like he is right now, but similar to uh, what Ev was saying, they are making strides and they were the first to lock their ticket to the quarterfinals. But yet and still... I still think for me, the if we're, when we're comparing the two, I think that the Magic one is really just a little more fascinating uh, to me than than the Pacers. Now, granted, I do think the Pacers will end up a higher seed than the Magic, though, just by virtue of who they have on their squad right now. I'm, I'm looking at the squad. I just think they're kind of built a little more mature than the than the Magic are. But hey, that remains to be seen. No, but they are. They yeah. Are. Yeah, I, it's still though. I struggle with that one. I, I, I think the other way. I think the Magic are more, are more built for. Nah, I think their players, I, they have more pedigree players. Pe- than, you than have, you have some peppered in. You have some peppered in on the Orlando Magic. But I think overall, it's more like, it's looking more like a freshman, sophomore type of situation for me when I look at Orlando and Indiana. Uh, just like in terms of leaders, let me see, Halliburton is leading the leads in steals. Suggs, I think, is tied for third. You know, he's right behind him. 
I'm curious to see, you know, where these guys end up. I'm going to go as far as to say is I would love to see these guys meet in the playoffs. Like uh, uh, we're we talking about in these teams, I want to see them in the four or five position. All right. You guys are playing each other in this four because I think that would be a great series. And I would love to see how that pans out. Right. Because I think that goes seven for sure. And we definitely see where it's going to be that, uh, you know, Orlando may have an edge because they have a couple of these more seasoned guys peppered in. But like Han brings up, in terms of these guys that have also been playing on Indiana, they do seem a little bit more mature, not only just in terms of their, their age, but also in terms of how long they've been playing together. And I think that, you know, both teams are built for success. I'm just, you know, interested to see how they continue to trend as the season progresses. Got you. So we're talked, we just finished talking about the two teams that are trending positively on the East. Let's shift over to the West Coast right now and uh, talk about those Timberwolves. The Timberwolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves, right now they are number one in the Western Conference. Once again, fraudulent. Did not, did not see that coming at all. At all. I am one to say that I was definitely a doubter. I did see, we all saw Anthony Edwards trending. We saw what he did in FIBA. We we knew that this next step was coming for him. I do know that I myself had concerns on whether Cat would adjust to Anthony really just taking the reins and being the guy there, but it seems to be working out for them. Now, my question for you guys is and anyone of you guys can answer this is how long do you see this lasting do you think that this is a scheduled blimp you know because there are teams that do have softer schedules than than others or is this them really turning that corner because they have been a team that has been looking to turn that corner for some time so have they actually rounded that corner and have made and turned themselves into a competitor in the western conference so i'm glad you brought that up because i i I, that's exactly basically where i was going i think we're seeing a good push of momentum with or uh with uh, minnesota right now but i do think it will catch up to them i think they'll be brought back to earth again like i said it almost how i felt two seasons ago with my chicago bulls it felt great you know i mean at some point we even touched we even touched that number one spot right but I think it's a schedule blimp. If we, even if we look at his, 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 their last schedule, their last 10, what are the, like, the most notable teams that they've had wins against? So Philadelphia, they beat the Sixers. Yeah. They beat, that's what I say, Philadelphia, right? They have back to backs with Golden State. Boston. They beat Golden State. Boston. Let me see. But that Boston game was back in, they didn't have a Boston game, not in November. They beat my Knicks and we're a title contenders. I, I don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> I'm sorry, you heard that? Yes, yes. They beat Boston in November. Oh, they beat them in November? And they beat the Nuggets in November. So I'm going to say that they beat some notable teams in this month of November. Because I'm looking at what, the 26 or 24. Oh, in, yeah. okay. In season. They beat November 1st. They beat Denver. They beat Boston November the 6th. They... Oh, early November. Yep, yep, yep. I was just looking at their last 10 games since the 8th when they lost against New Orleans. But... I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not a New believer Orleans. yet. Yeah, they can't. Yeah, they. I think they. Yeah, no, I say when New when they beat New Orleans, but New Orleans is are we are we considering New Orleans a contender? Well, so to that point right there, I think. So if you're asking me, is Minnesota the best team in the West? 
I'm going to say no, but the reason I'm going to say no is different than what Lou is saying. They are as legit as every oh, other my, team in the Mine league. isn't just a schedule. I don't think the team oh, no, let, let has go. bought in let as well. That's what I'm saying. That's, what, that's no, what I'm saying. I need I need him to know that that my point is not just because of the schedule. The yeah, other pieces, which are these more points, I don't think the team is bought in to being a cohesive unit that can take them forward to win. So this is gonna this is gonna end in a moment. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. What I'm saying is the reason I don't think that they're the best team in the West is because there there is no best team in the West right now. The West is as competitive and as wide open as it's been. What we thought was last year is even more so this year. The best I could do for you is who is the best in the West this week? Because I honestly think it's going to change every single week. Now, Minnesota, they do look strong right now. I think they're I think they're gelling better. Ant has definitely taken the leap. They've got, you know, they've got a point guard with Conley, et cetera, et cetera. I like what Minnesota looks like. But OKC looks strong. Sacramento looks strong. Just came in and beat them by double digits in the end season tournament. New Orleans may have the the deepest roster of all these teams that we're we're talking about. And when their two players are healthy, when their roster is healthy, I think they could beat anybody. Dallas might have the best player. Phoenix might have the best two-player collection. Haven't even brought up Denver. They're the champs and haven't even brought up the old guard teams, your Warriors, your Lakers. We're not going to talk about the Clippers anymore. But there's a, there's a legit seven, eight teams right there that on any given week, I think, can, well, not even think I know, will look like the best team in the West for at least a week. So what you have right now in the West is, is an absolute bloodbath of teams that are going to be striving for that top spot. And a lot of these young teams are teams that were rounding into form last year that are now in more fully realized versions of themselves. So if Minnesota struggles has a bad couple of weeks, it's not going to be because they're frauds. It's going to be because they're going up against these other awesome teams that are that are built to look great as well. So that, that's, that's my take on the West in general. Got you. It's... Literally the wild, wild west out here right now at this point of the season. Uh, it's really been fascinating to watch every game in the West when they face each other, especially when when you have teams who have been struggling for a while and they're catching their stride. For instance, for me, that Dallas Laker game was very interesting, right? Because at that point, both teams were kind of getting some momentum, and for them to come, you know, ahead was definitely great basketball to watch. So the wild, wild west. LeBron lost that game, by the way. <laughs> you said LeBron lost that game. Pod yeah. Mama coming in from the shadows <laughs> with his take. So I, I, do, <laughs> I do think the Wild Wild West is something interesting to watch. It is great for basketball right now. I do think we need to address the other end of it, guys, the other end of the these trends that we're seeing. So do we still believe there are some other trends that are going against what we thought earlier in the season against our predictions, against our better thoughts and judgments, and we just can't help then address them. And I'm going to start with one that Evan mentioned in his take in regards to the Timberwolves, the Denver Nuggets, the, the champs, the reigning champs. We thought that they were definitely, at least I'll say me, thought they were going to be at the top of the league for most of the season, especially the beginning of the season, attended, given the fact that they have 
most of their pieces back, the important ones back. They have an identity. They know what they're doing. And then they have the Joker, right? The the the, the maestro, the magician here on, on the court. But they have been struggling as of lately. I was in the chat, as you guys know, and just being like, hey, do we need to address this if they lose again? And I'm just... <laughs> Thank you very much. So, Jokic and is I'm just, nothing without Jamal Murray. I he mean, that wow, he's a, a pop mama calling him. You calling him a fraud? Is that what well, you're saying? Well, he's well, a fraud. Finish, finish your setup, Hans. But pop mama is. Nah, I'm gonna tell you why pop mama's. I won't say absolutely right. Fraud is kind of hard, but he he he's saying something there. Well, here's here's what I'll say. They lost to the Rockets twice. They lost to the Magic, but we already established the Magic are, are really doing their thing right now. They lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and yeah, they lost to the Rockets we again. Need to so, them. <laughs> so it's just, it's it's a rough go around for them. There are some scheduled wins there, and they lost to San Antonio, and we know that San Antonio is struggling right now. So their next opportunity is against the Clippers, and We'll see what happens there. What's going on in Denver, Lou? What What are you seeing? What do you think's happening? Yeah, I, I just think that it's one of those. Uh, you just won a championship, and you just got to get it back together. Uh, another big thing is not having Jamal Murray. At the end of the day, we can't deny the fact that Jamal Murray is a major piece in what makes them a championship contending team. Definitely uh, a top I, ten guard, without hesitation. Maybe. Without hesitation. He's not healthy. What? Just saying. He's not healthy. He's not healthy right now. I'm so hesitating just, personally. I'm, I'm okay. just saying, you got to be on the court. It, yes, you got to be on the court. You got to be on the court. But we see, we do know what happens when he is on the court, you know. So at the end of the days, we're still early in, you know. I'm not worried about Denver at all. Uh, I think Denver is perfectly fine. I think Denver just needs to work out some kinks. Uh, when everybody's healthy, they'll be back in their, in their normal stride. Yes, they... they some of the losses are, are, are definitely flabbergasted. Uh, trust me, I didn't expect us to beat them, okay? You know what I mean? So for us to then beat Denver was like, okay, what's going on with Denver? But I think they're just fine. I think they're, man, they're just, they're just going to have to work through just the beginning of the season. Plus, when you're the championship, championship team, everybody has a target on your back. They really want to get with you. I think Denver will be fine. Look at what Joker's doing. I think it, it would be concerning if Joker still wasn't performing at a high level, at the Hall of Fame level that he has been doing. Uh, there seems to be no dysfunction in the team, so on and so forth. And like you mentioned, all the major pieces that they needed to have were there. Yes, you lose some pieces like Bruce Brown, who was, you know, a great, gives you the depth that you need and so on. But I don't think that this is at all in, in terms of concerning for where they will end up in the Western Conference for this season. And at the end of the day, look, I had the Clippers this one of mine, and Evan, I know we're not speaking about them anymore, um, but I see Denver going back. Uh, they're the ones to beat. So. so with that being said, you did mention a point that I did want to make is that they are missing Brown and Green, right, which were there to offer them some 
some good defense there. And I mean, Brown could put some ports, points on the board when needed here. And there, but that's not what they're going for. But according to the going for according to their so, GM, Brown Brown was nothing. Brown wasn't. Uh, he's he won't be missed. I mean, he they have so, replacements. Well, let's, so hold let's, on one second. But yeah, go ahead. I. I want to get into the particulars of it, right? Because I do think, yes, there's some low-hanging fruit there, right? We could jump on the whole Jamal thing that he's not there. And and that definitely plays a, a part of it too. But I would love for us to dive deeper into it just for this. Because there are some things that I'm seeing in the stat line that I think could be blood in the water for other teams to really pay attention to. At the end of the day, right, we look at the greats and we marvel at the greats but we also for those who really watch the game understand that the greats also had some great supporting cast who stepped up and knew when to step up and do what they needed to do what's troubling me with this denver slump whatever you want to call it is i'm seeing some supporting cast who are not stepping up and doing what they necessarily need to do you do have Jamal Murray who's gone, so that should be an opportunity for other players to kind of step Michael up and do Porter what they Jr. need to do. So <laughs> my question to you, Ev, is are you seeing anything more than just Murray being gone and them having to adjust to a different playing style because Murray's not there? Well, so I'll say three things, and then I, I'll say my three things first. First off, Michael Porter same player that he's been. He's averaging the same points a game, roughly the same rebounds, a little lower on rebounds, roughly the same from three uh, that he's averaged last year. So Michael Porter hasn't stepped up, hasn't regressed, same player. Who's really struggling, Aaron Gordon, averaging less points, uh, shooting like 22% from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's where they're seeing the real struggle is from Aaron Gordon's production right now. You mentioned losing Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. It's the beginning of the season, so of course they're going to be working in some some younger players. Uh, Christian Braun's taking on more of a role. He's got to step up. Uh, uh, what's his name? Julian Strother. Uh, some other some other rookies and and first year, second year players that they have. Like when everybody shifts up a spot in their responsibilities it takes a while to build that cohesion the good part is that's what the early part of the season is uh Contavious Caldwell Pope averaging the same as as he averaged before as well but not every player can step into that number two seat right the good part is that Jamal Murray is a hamstring. He should be back. It shouldn't be, you know, he he's gone for for the season. So what that does is then shift Reggie Jackson back out of the starting lineup. Now he's leading the bench unit more with with these other young players that need to step up. But let's not kid ourselves though. Denver is who they've always been without Jamal Murray. Since Jamal Murray went nuclear in the bubble in 2020, all right, they were the third seed in the in the West in 21 when Jamal tore his Achilles in April, right? They went on, beat your beat your Trailblazers in the first round in six. Yeah, but I then, remember. Thanks, but no problem. I got you, man. Anytime. But then got <laughs> yeah, swept yeah. by the Suns, right? They come in the next year season without Jamal Murray. They were six in the West. They lose to the Warriors in five games. 
since Murray and Jokic have ascended to, to a higher level of play, Denver has always been a fringe team when they didn't have Jamal Murray. So I don't see anything surprising because they are who they are. And especially, like I said, Michael Porter is exactly who, who he always is. He's not a number two option. So without that number two option, you're going to see these struggles. But it's better to get it over early than later in the season. And, and as the season goes, you're gonna they're gonna have opportunity to fill in the holes in terms of depth on their bench. So, getting another player like a Brown, like a Green, they're gonna come. But the big thing that you know Evan mentioned that is 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 the most concern. And honestly, I don't I didn't even expect Gordon to be able to do more this season. I think he was able to be able to benefit off having these other players give him opportunity to be able to do the scoring that he was doing last season. But like I said, for me, no, doesn't seem like any chinks in their in their armor other than what we already know. I can't even give them gotcha. the Bruce Brown excuse because this is what their GM Calvin Booth said verbatim. All right, quote with an interview with Kevin O'Connor, he said, "Some of these teams are trying to take to get Bruce, trying to make it worth worth it. It's like just be careful what you wish for. Payne's bigger, talking about Payne Watson. He's longer. He's more athletic. He guards better." He passes better. He doesn't have the experience and he's not as good offensively yet, but we need defense more than we need offense on our team. So talking about they're missing Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, I don't want to hear from Denver and Denver fans and Denver hopefuls because your GM obviously doesn't care about them. He, he's, he thinks that the people you guys have now can replace those guys. Obviously, it's not working out, but stand by what you say. Uh, you it doesn't make sense, part. Chris. I'm about to say, no, 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 it makes sense. It does sense. make sense. No, because, but, but let's be real. GMs don't sense. always get it right. There's a reason. GMs don't always get it right. They <laughs> be just here. talking. GMs just be talking sometimes. One, just to make sure that whatever decision they made seems sound, okay? Because that's their job on the line if they mess up procuring the wrong person. They just won the championship. Yeah, but so for him to scoff at Bruce Brown's productivity, right, is because, okay, Bruce wanted money, you didn't want to pay him the money, and you moved on. So you're going to make an excuse for why another player should be able to take a spot that you're paying less for and you didn't make the wrong decision and not keeping him. If Bruce Brown balls out this year, you know this. What, does the GM, what can the GM then say? If the numbers show that Bruce Bowen is a formidable uh, a uh, piece Bruce that Brown. you're supposed Bruce to have Brown. with your team. Bruce Brown. Yeah. See, I'm Bruce Bowen's football. been retired, bro. That's all right. I mean, they could use Thank him God. Nah, not at the free throw line. What I... Let's let's move on to the next. So I take exception is that at the end of the day, GMs have never spoken for the fan for the fan base. Ever. Like let's Ever. let's not get into into those territories. No. He's got to stand on that though. If these young players, if these young players, yeah. do no, the, then the GM has to stand yeah, on it, not the fan base. Exactly. The fan base, the fan base follow the GM. What the GM is saying. No, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Fans are fickle. Stop it. They Stop love it. you today, hate you tomorrow. GM talk, to talk, to, talk to Nick. But I'm talking towards. Talk to I'm Nick talking fans. to them. Talk to I, Nick I agree. <laughs> they they need Bruce Brown. They're missing Bruce Brown. They're missing Jeff Green. But I'm saying for the people who are saying that they didn't need them, you guys are out of, out of your minds. You definitely. Need oh, them. I hundred percent agree. And I think my take on it is 
we got to move on. But my take on it is there is room for improvement for Denver. And that's what I'm seeing. I didn't think they needed this room, this much room of improvement, but I do see it because at the end of the day, Jamal Murray, as much as I don't want to put him in the top 10 guards or whatever, he is a valuable piece that they're missing. He does galvanize the offense, especially when he's out there by himself without Joker, right? When Joker's on the bench, he keeps them going in, keeps them, you know, chugging along. But at the end of the day, I expected veterans that you do have on your team to give a little more given your experience of what you've seen. And that's Aaron Gordon, that's Caldwell Pope, and that's Jackson. I expected those threes to elevate their play just a little bit. I'm not saying give me 30 or anything like that, but just give me a little more so we could get these wins. Because outside of, I think, two the two losses, and I'm blanking on of them, they weren't two bad blowouts. You get what I'm saying? They were close losses. So if you think about it, if you get a little more from those three vets, I think you can get over that hump. And I'm thinking about the long road ahead. Injuries happen here and there. You need to get in the mindset of next man up. Let me give a little more for what the team the team needs. That's that's my take on it. That's uh, why they, I, I they saw only show up against the Lakers. Lakers. That's when they show up. Shaq, everybody Shaq didn't win the a Lakers. single championship without Kobe Bryant or Dwayne Wade, and Kareem didn't win a single championship without Oscar Robertson or Magic Johnson. Jokic needs his Murray. That's all I'm saying, and they'll be fine. Stop it. Stop it right without now. Without Murray, you Jokic is just players. a 2017 Russell Westbrook. Change my mind. <laughs> Change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's continue with these. We have a, a little more time left on this segment, so let's let's keep it moving, y'all. We'll, we'll make it quick on this one. Stay on the West. Spurs, Wemby, what's going on? The Spurs right now, as we're recording it, they're 3-13. Wemby is lower on his points. He was averaging ninth. Oh, I don't even want to say it. It hurts. Hold on. Let me find it, y'all. He's lowering his points per game than he was in the in the beginning of the season. The Spurs are just looking horrible. They're not going along. Now, we are seeing some things on the coaching end that may be in the way of, I guess, some would say him being successful. But I do want to get your take real quick. Does Wimby still have a shot at Rookie of the Year? Is he ascend? Is he descending from, you know, that high of coming out and really showing everybody but is he reg- uh, regressing back to the mean, back to normal? Is he showing us what he really is in these past couple games with the Spurs and them really not giving a good show out? What, what are your thoughts on Wemby right now and how he's trending? Wemby looks fine. He looks as we expected him to look. He's still giving you something every game. That's like, that's impressive. Is what we expected. The Spurs look, the Spurs are just terrible. But this section isn't this this isn't about Wemby. This section is about Chet Holmgren. And this is the reason that we're having this oh, conversation. God. Because Chet Holmgren how is averaging uh, my how, do I, how, how do I meet he's, this guy? He's oh. averaging 19 and 8, and his team is winning. And it's as I've said for the last four weeks to you guys, y'all are not gonna care about this losing Spurs team by February. While OKC is going to be challenging for a top spot in the West, and it's going to be in large part because Chet Holmgren is doing all the things that they didn't have last year, and that's what's going to impact the Rookie of the Year discussion. 
Got you. Just to give some stats, Lou, before you weigh in, Chet is averaging 18 points per game, eight rebounds, two assists. Whereas Victor, he's averaging 19, 19 and points, nine and four. Nine yeah. and two. So uh Wimby still has the edge there on yes. the stat line, but his Chet's team is actually very superior. So your thoughts, Lou. So I'm glad you said it because you, I mean, you, you read exactly the stat line I was going to read. That's all that ma- when it comes to, and I, I stay consistent in this, in this state, that I, statement that I'm making. The Wemby is the better player. He deserves rookie of the year. Just like any player who comes into the league. Now, is Chet the, the one, the true catalyst, right? Is he the number one guy that's making his team? the contender that it is is he their number one option if chet was their number one option and the person that was person that was galvanizing and pushing his team to be as competitive as they are i would agree with you that chet should be in the forefront of this conversation but he is not and then on this terrible currently terrible san antonio team wemby is the best player so what i'm hearing you say is that chet that Wemby is averaging 19 and 9 as the number one option, and Chet is averaging 18 and 8 as the number two option. So arguably the same stats while still not being the number one option. Chet has they're not the same. They're not the same. <laughs> I don't want to argue. His team is they're not the same. All right. His team, is, his team is winning. But is it because of him or Shea Gilly? If Wemby has Shea Gilly, what do the Spurs look like? Or rather, if you if you sub Wemby for Chet, let's not do it that way because <laughs> Shea's not going to move the needle for for San Antonio. Insert Wemby for Chet on on uh, OKC. What does OKC look like? I can't give you that hypothetical. I can just give you what I see. <laughs> okay, then. So we can stick with the stats, right? I don't want to answer. We don't want to. Uh, there's no argument. He knows the answer. You know exactly. No, that's why I say you're right. Let's not talk in hypotheticals. Let's not talk in arguments. Webby's the better two, player. He deserves two team in the West today. Okay, OKC didn't make the play in last. You said it's a wild, wild West. So him, uh, arguably, number, San Antonio can turn it all the way around today. by the end of the season. OKC didn't make the play in last year. I think San, Anto- San Antonio, <laughs> the San Antonio player <laughs> versus the OKC player, <laughs> Wemby versus Chet. Today, Wemby has the better stats. Therefore, San Antonio, deserves- same record as last year. Same seller as last year. Are we talking about o- team of OKC. the year or are we talking about rookie of the year? Right now, the better rookie, the better rookie is Victor. Scoot Henderson. Oh, my bad. All right. So on that note. Wendy Bag of Chips. Yes, yes. Scoot Jaime Hawkins. Yeah. Hey, Jaime, he was, though, is balling. He was he there at 17. He was He's there at 17. Right He's cool. I'm with you, at. I'm with Absolutely. you, at. Absolutely. <laughs> the Lakers you. can have had Jaime at 17. Oh, man. Yeah, man. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. All right, guys. Let's switch switching gears here to a uh, sensitive and serious topic. I do want to give the disclaimer here for all of our listeners, especially as myself, a former mental health professional. We are going to discuss some sensitive topics and topics that may trigger those who have been affected by domestic violence or abuse of any sort. So we just want our listeners to be mindful of the topics that we're going to be discuss, discussing and that they may have some trigger 
to anyone who has dealt with that in the past. So just wanted to give that disclaimer. Uh, but let's get right into it, guys. So the NBA has in the past, I would say three years have been dealing with some players who have been on the wrong side of the law. And we are unfortunately continuing to see this happen. Now, there are three players that come to mind and they're the ones that have most recently been dealing with some issues in regards to the law and breaking it. And I am curious to see and hear, number one, curious to see what the NBA does or continues to do. Second, curious to see what you guys think and how the NBA is handling it. Most notably, this past weekend, it's been swirling around on the interwebs and Twitter specifically in regards to the OKC player, Josh Giddy. There's allegations that he has been engaging in an underage, inappropriate relationship with a high schooler. Now, these are just allegations thus far. There have not been any charges brought up against him by anyone, the NBA, his team, or law enforcement. But yet and still, these are allegations that are out there, and the NBA and the team have to address or deal with them, certainly. Giddy himself has made no comment. He was asked about it before the last game, said he made no comment. As far as the NBA is concerned, they're investigating. That's the only statement that's been put out right now in regards to the whole Josh Giddy situation. My question in regards to this situation specifically, does the NBA have any license as far as their standing, their league, and their, their function right in Josh Giddy's life do they have any authority to do anything at this state and secondly if they do what should be done anybody can uh, jump in on this one so this is kind of tough from the standpoint of twitter and social media and allegations that come from there and and speaking on it before you have the facts of, of the situation. So what I would say is that that's exactly what I expect the NBA is doing right now is digging into, you know, what are the actual facts of the situation? How long ago did this transpire? What are the, the true ages of, you know, the participants involved? What are the legal ramifications of it based on where it took place at? Uh, before you know the NBA makes a makes a move on it, we saw a somewhat uh, similar situation, which I don't want to directly compare the two. Um, but in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays had a had a player, uh, Wander Franco, um, who you know under investigation for for relationship with minors, and he was you know basically not kicked off the team but definitely removed from from the team uh was having a great season uh to to start the season and and he's you know basically banished from the team and, and the tea leaves are reading you know it's questionable whether he'll even play in the league again don't want to compare that directly to to this josh giddy situation we're just at the beginning of it but it's something that's taken very seriously uh you have to stomp that out and where i i won't say struggle with it but but 
where I think needs to be uh, proper framing of, of the situation is you've got young NBA players, right? Josh Giddy just turned 21 in October. So if you're talking a, a 17 year old, that's, that's four years apart difference, right? That's, that's a senior and a freshman in, in high school, basically. Right. But we can't look at it through that lens of, you know, what may or may not go on in high school. You got to look at it through the lens of what's right and what's, what's wrong, what's legal and what's not. What our question is, what I'd be curious in is how does the NBA, especially now that we have so many younger players, right, coming into the league, how does the NBA even address this issue to begin with, with these 18 and 19 year old players when they come into the league to make sure that they, you know, point out to them, look, that that sophomore or junior, you know, that you were feeling back in your hometown or whatnot, now that you you've made it under no circumstances, can you, you know, you know, um, or, or just, just things of that nature. How, how well does the NBA drill into their players? You know, look, you may be young, but you're not young anymore. And you got to grow up very, very quickly as it, as it relates to this. So I'd be curious, you know, how the NBA handles that on the, before it happens side and with the precedent, you know, from from baseball or whatnot, I'm definitely curious how the NBA uh, lays down any possible uh, judgment on this based on what they find out uh, if this happens to be true and accurate. Yeah, it's um, it's a tough situation because you brought up basically the point that I was going to make. You know, today your age means one thing, and tomorrow your age means something completely different. And also in terms of your your status and celebrity, uh, and 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 how there's more scrutiny and uh, more eyes on you know what it is you may be doing, so you have to be more careful. You know, there's been swirling conversation around in terms of where they have, where they met. You know, okay, if they're in a in a club and they 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 met there, you know, in his mind, why did he already assume that she was of that age because She's now in the in this establishment. So, you know, until everything comes out and 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 we're able to to make a a true assessment, social media the things can be blown up immediately, uh, and then you know, w- without having to to figure things out um, to to get to to the right conclusion. So, I mean. The biggest thing is I don't know if the NBA even has something like that in place because I think they're in, in this stage where they have to now consider it when it wasn't it had it had it had to have been a consideration before. Uh, Miles Bridges is a little bit older in his situation with him being 25, um, but you now Giddy just barely turning 21. You know what com- the conversation you're having with somebody who is a 24, 25 year old young man is very different from a conversation you're having a 19, 18, 20 year old in terms of how they're thinking, how I mean they're how they're growing. Mine hasn't even fully developed. And Hans, I'm I'm sure you can you're the expert on that uh, on that end in terms of all of us here. So uh it will 
in terms of the mentorship that also should come from older players uh, that are there, what they can uh, experience, that they can impart knowledge, they can impart wisdom, they can impart to keep you know these players, these younger players from ending up in questionable situations. And we know at the end of the day, uh, social media is readily available and you can end up on the internet anytime way more than we've seen before. So yeah, they're, they're just more eyes and it's uh, got to be way more careful in making sure that you're not out here doing anything wrong uh, that would jeopardize your livelihood. So I think there's a couple of things happening too. So you did mention Miles Bridges and we also have him back now. He's playing, he started playing with Charlotte this past week and then the last incident before that too was Kevin Porter Jr. with the Houston Rockets, who's no longer in the league. I think there's a couple of things happening that I think we have to really sit down and, and really look at it. There are certain things and characteristics and attitudes that are that have been present in the league and in sports in general that are being brought to, to the front front forefront more given the Me Too movement. And I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I'm saying this as a great thing. At the end of the day, there is a domestic violence. There is a, uh, when it comes to male aggression towards female issue here in the United States, it's widely documented. I don't have to go into it. Go on your search engines and do it there. Men are being held more accountable, right? That's what's happening. There's a shift towards that. And I think when it comes to the NBA, they don't have, especially them being a progressive league compared to other leagues like the NFL, the NBA puts itself out there as a progressive league when it comes to these types of social movements. They want to be on the forefront of these things. I think the NBA doesn't have much room to really wait Um and kind of let the chips fall. They do have to get in there, which is what they're doing. They're investigating the situation, right? Whereas we would see in other leagues per se, they would let the, you know, that team handle it, let them come down and let them handle it. The NBA has to come in. They have to conduct their investigation. Now to F's point, I do think that the NBA has to, has to act and the act has to be homogenous in the sense of, and this is just my idea, Follow the laws and regulations in your state. Follow the law and regulations of the land. At the end of the day, the NBA is the United States. It plays in the United States. Of course, we go to Canada here and there, but follow the laws of the land. If you have been found to violate said laws of the land, you will be dealt with accordingly. And I think that's the only fair way to do it. Now, we know this. I know this more because I've been in the field. Each state has varying ages of consent. Right. So an age of consent in Georgia is not the same age of consent as in Alabama, as in Florida, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now, every business we're in this corporate world has their code of conduct. So you have to establish that as well, too. So did this player violate our standard of conduct? And did this player violate the law? Two different things, because you can violate a standard of conduct, John Morant, but not break a law. Right. And I do want to point that out there because I am seeing these comparisons on the social medias between what's going on with Giddy versus the punishment that John Morant got versus the punishment that Kyrie Irving got and, and all of that. These are not the same. 
they're not even in the same realm. Sums are one is literally violating a law, meaning you're a detriment to society or have put somebody in possible harm. And another is violating a code of conduct, which is basically saying these are our morals, these are our values. That's how we view that you should conduct yourself. Multiple different things. And at the end of the day, if you don't like a certain code of conduct, you're always more than welcome to quit and leave. Whereas the law, that's the law of the land. You have to walk that line or you'll get punished or removed from society. I say all this to say, what concerns me is we are seeing that as these instances are happening, we're starting to see people rear their head in terms of people being held accountable. And I pray and hope that the NBA errs on the side of holding people accountable for their actions rather than doing what's best for their brand and for their pockets. I hope that the NBA continues to do what I feel is the human, the social agenda, which is what they've been promoting, especially how they got behind Black Lives Matter, how they've been um, promoting against any anti-Semitic speech or anything like that. We've seen that. So the LGBTQ plus movement, we've seen them get behind that. So I would love to see them step behind and get behind this issue of domestic violence or violence in general and address it here and there. But that goes to that will remain to be seen. But I did want to bring up the difference between holding somebody accountable to a code of conduct, which varies by team and by, you know, league, whatever league you're in versus laws that are just the same. They're homogenous. So we do want to make that distinction when we're when we're addressing these guys. Now, last last question. I know we got a couple minutes left. Let's say somebody is found guilty of violating a law and they go to court, they serve their time to get their punishment. Should they be allowed back in the league? Is there a place for them in the league? They've done their due diligence or they go to court. It's settled. You know, let's say it's a civil case. It's settled. Boom. Do they get their job back? Should it be back in the league if they've served their time or gone through due process? What are you guys' thoughts on that? I think uh, along with every other field, that answer isn't going to be fair and that answer isn't going to be clear. If your talent justifies a second chance Mm. or a third chance, you'll get it. And we see that, you know, with, with Miles Bridges, a very talented player, egregious act against his uh his wife or fiance yeah his wife i think he got his child as well they they dropped they dropped the child abuse charge but there it was it was it was a charge as well but you know a player on his way towards receiving a, a max contract prior to the incident he did his 30 game punishment He's he's back in the league and and looking great on his on his first, you know, his first week back on on his road to financial recovery. You juxtapose that with uh, Kevin Porter Jr., talented but troubled player, you know, had some prior incidences, but not that talented to where he is worth the headache. We probably won't see him again. That's where your difference yeah. is going to be. Talent, talent will always drive the conversation. And what that just means is the bottom line for these, because again, each of these teams are businesses. So uh, 
I, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with what Evan is saying. You know, it, it's not going to be the fair answer at all. Uh, it's going to be whatever is in the best interest, you know, uh, of the team and then if the NBA. And if it is something that to the point where they wouldn't be able to recover, the return on investment wouldn't be there, we doubt we'll see them. Um, and, you know, I doubt it's necessarily for the moral aspect of it. So Miles Bridges is not necessarily then a precedent, right? Because he was sentenced to probation in regards to his charge and everything like that. So yeah. you're saying that Miles Bridges may not necessarily be a precedent in what we're seeing in the league, more so it's a judgment on talent and worth to the team. Absolutely. Yeah, gotcha. for sure. Gotcha. For sure. Okay. Because even if we look at, yes, it's a code of conduct thing. If Ja wasn't worth the investment, would they have kept him after the second offense? So, no, I mean, know. you're right. We we see it. We see it. Codes of conduct, right? I mean, it happens. Yeah, he, he made yeah. Do- he made Doka got a job. He violated Boston's codes of conduct, but Houston picked him up, right? So, yeah, co- codes of conduct. There's a better chance of coming back from that. I feel than yes, violating sure. the law of the land. So yeah, th- no, there's, sure. there's difference. And then also, yeah. not every um, crime is created equal. So I, I will say that. But on that note, guys, I know we we ended on a somber note. That's not the note that we ended uh, wanted to end it on. But I do think these topics at the end of the day are worth discussing. Although we play with these. Um, these topics in our head we we talk about these guys and these players they are still human beings they go out into society and interact with each and every one of us in the world so i do think it's worth mentioning it's something that touches our daily lives and it makes it real for us at the end of the day yes they're athletes yes they're these figures but they're still human beings and they need to be held to that standard of how human beings should conduct themselves as well still think it's a wonderful conversation worth having i'm glad that we had it glad that we dived into it i am also curious to see what the nba does in regards to this uh uh, giddy situation and next week if there's any developments that happen throughout the week we'll be sure to mention it and to to discuss it uh if anything does happen as the nba is investigating we know how long that can take or not take so there's that as always guys thank you so much for joining us don't forget Tune in to YouTube for some additional content on our OT. We appreciate you. Thank you. We'll see you guys next time. What can I say? Mamba out. Three on Three is hosted by Hans Luador, Lou Ferdinand, and myself, Evan Butler Sands. Produced by the Pod Mamba, Christian Gonzalez. You can follow Three on Three on Twitter and Instagram at the Three on Three Podcast. And you can also email us at the Three on Three Podcast at gmail.com.